Uh, hello, everyone, and welcome back uh, to another edition of the Meeting of the Unknowing Minds podcast. Let's grab a seat here at the table. We've got uh, a lot to go over today. We have a lot going on. Um, but first and foremost, of course, my name is Matt Eshe, the, the head cross-country associate head track and field coach at the University of Alabama, UAB. I'm your host uh, for this podcast. Uh, again, we've got a great distinguished group of coaches, some, some ones that uh, have some tremendous experience uh, have some tremendous ideas of the sport um, and, you know, have a lot of different backgrounds. We've got some coaches today who coach from everything from D3 to D2 and D1. We've got a group from all over the country here. So we're excited uh, to get going on this podcast again. We have a lot to cover. Um, but first and foremost, let's introduce everybody that's here. Uh, our media specialist that takes care of all that kind of stuff, the graphics and whatnot, Mr. Darren Flowers from uh, the UTRGV. How are we doing, Darren? All right, good to be back, man. I woke up this morning. I'm breathing, so nothing but positive vibes. Man, that's always a great thing, right there. I love it. Uh, the only, the only bald member of our, our cast, Mr. John Benton, at <laughs> the director down there. John, how are we doing in St. Louis? Oh, we're doing, we're doing well. Great to be back. Man, awesome. Uh, the gentleman who I believe, uh, when he wakes up in the morning, his hair is already spiked with gel. Uh, Mr. Scott Williamson, the associate head coach, at Nevada. How are we doing? We're doing well. The sun is shining. The hair is spiked. We're looking forward to some good conversation. Man, oh man, that's what I like to hear right there. Um, we've got the uh, another gentleman that actually hails from the 262 up in Waukesha. Um, the multi's coach went to Catholic Memorial High School, a rival of mine in, 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 in high school, uh, Mr. Tom Sage of VCU. How are we doing, Tom? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Man, great to have you. Um, we have, uh, well, Normally give them something. I can't figure out something today. Um, <clears throat> but we got Mr. Mike Nelson, the director up at Monmouth, always providing us with some uh, very intelligent conversation. Uh, intelligent is the word I use. Uh, ah. I don't know <laughs> about that. Uh, we have the, um, I think the elder statesman of the group. He said that before a couple times. Um, but uh, has been from D3 to D1 and all over the country. Uh, the the extraordinary coach up at Indiana, the multis, and he does a little bit of everything, Mr. Mike Herb. Sorry, I missed you guys last week, but good to be back again. Join the conversation. Man, it's great to have you back. Um, we have joining us again uh, for the second week in a row. We convinced her, probably her boss did as well. Um, we've got Coach Derek Cope, uh, the sprints coach up at Monmouth University from uh, New Jersey. Am I right, New Jersey? Did I get right? Are you I'm from Virginia, but I'm from Virginia. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me back. <laughs> it's great to have you back. Looking forward to hearing about your story here in a little bit. Um, and then last but not least, we've added another one. Uh, we have uh, Sue Bateston out of Cal State East Bay, a D2 school out of uh, Cal State. They were, uh, she's the assistant cross country the, uh, and the assistant track and field coach out there. Uh, she actually coaches a little bit of an interesting group. I had to question her when I saw this, but uh, the 400, the 800, and the throws. So that's kind of a – normally you hear 400, 800, maybe the jumps or maybe a little bit of a sprints or something, but 400, 800 throws is an interesting group. So, Sue, it's great to have you. I appreciate being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, so that is our panel today. Uh, the – I don't know, with, the, with this whole COVID thing, I find it entertaining – uh, a lot of you guys probably go out and you've got masks and you got to put one on. I know uh, everywhere in Birmingham now, whether you're getting a beer, whether you're getting dinner, whether you're going to a grocery store, you need a mask. I think it's smart. You see a lot of people are, um, a lot of coaches, pro teams are, are encouraging masks for everybody to wear to at least have some sort of PPE. Um, and I found it hilarious. I took my son 
the second time I did it, I did it like the second or third day that they lifted some restrictions here in Alabama. And I took him again this week to get his second haircut. Uh, and I had to get a haircut as well, no more than a hat, but uh, I got him to get a second haircut. And it was weird to be wearing a mask. You know, it was weird to be sitting there with a mask on and then you, you know, you got, and the worst part about it is you get the hair, as you guys know, when you get cut in your hair, you get the hair everywhere. And so it's all over your shirt. And I got this little kid in front of me. So it wasn't even fun. But the nice thing is our, our lady over at uh, the Homewood Barbershop, small little old time barbershop, Katie, she does a great job. Give her a little press. Um, she does a great job. It was only 34 for two, two haircuts, 34 bucks for two haircuts. I gave her like a $6 tip. I mean, come on, you got to help the, help those people out that are trying to work. Um, but I was curious. I know, we know that John does not, he spends more on wax than he does anything else. He's got some clippers on the sides to, to do it being as bald as he is. But we, we guys pay for a haircut. I mean, I know one thing, Scott, again, takes the gel. It's probably $30 gel knowing uh, being out in Nevada and being out in that area of Reno, it's gotta be some expensive stuff. What do you guys pay for a haircut? Well, I just went this weekend and I uh, got a haircut. It was my second one since uh, the beginning of March. So it was, uh, it was nice. Uh, I feel like a hundred pounds lighter, uh, but I, I, there's a place really close to my house. It's a uh, sports clip, which is a franchise. Um, and I always just get like a haircut and they wash it for me. And it is for a haircut and a wash is like $30. And then, you know, obviously I, I give the, the lady a tip, but it is, uh, I just, you know, it seemed, it's one of those things that's like, wow, how did things ever get so expensive? I remember, you know, used to pay in like five bucks for a haircut, 10 bucks, you know, and then it's like, I didn't know if maybe it was just the area that I'm living in as some of the things are a little more expensive, but it seemed uh, a little high. Hey, at least it's less than a pizza, right? It's about, yeah, it's, it's about right there. Everything, that must be the magical number for this area. I, I, I get a haircut, it's about 30 bucks. I get a pizza, it's about 30 bucks, so. They, they must feel like that's the, the right, uh, the number to charge people for about, about everything. I think you're just saying that it's expensive to live there. <laughs> I, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I really have nothing to contribute. I'm, <laughs> no, 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 I, I, it's been, I think the last time I paid for a haircut was maybe uh, college. So that would have been, you know, 20 years ago. Do you have a clippers that you just do it yourself? Like a- I, uh, it's called uh, a razor. Yeah. Oh, straight razor. Yeah, uh, not well. I mean, the chic or you know, chic or ah, uh, okay. You know, one of those. So, yeah, you know, a little little uh, shave. I think I pay uh, what what's what's Barbasol these days about two bucks uh, <laughs> a thing of uh, shaving cream. That's about it. So, and then anybody from Chic and Barbasol price in and of themselves, but we're not going to get into that. <laughs> so what is it out in Cali? Oh, uh, well, you know, I honestly saw this new place. It's, uh, it's called my garage. It was real cheap. <laughs> you know, it, you know, thanks to COVID, I was able to find it. I tipped my husband a couple bucks and it was, you know, it was great. Great experience since California uh, you- can't really go get her hair cut. That's a strong bond of trust there <laughs> to let your husband cut your hair. It was great. Great. That is a brilliant, brilliant place. Right in Cali. We might have to find, to find that place. <laughs> <laughs> what, what does it run out in Jersey? Mike, Coach D, what do you guys got? Any idea? Mike, you really don't cut your hair. So. Super cuts, baby. 15 bucks. Every time. Coach D, what do you got? 
I have no idea. I don't get haircuts. I don't have kids that get haircuts. So, but if I had to guess, I would say 15 bucks. Not too bad. <laughs> All I'm saying is Scott pays ridiculous amounts for a haircut at 30 bucks. Plus then if his pizza is 30 bucks and he starts putting toppings on it, he gets to 60 if he adds an appetizer as well. I mean, Man, what are they paying at Nevada? Just jeez. <sighs> Not much. <laughs> <laughs> He's not enough, his money, he goes down to the casino and doubles up that paycheck every month. So. Yeah, exactly. I'm out there. Just to get a haircut and a pizza. Yeah. You know, if I, if I do well at the tables, I get a haircut and pizza. If not, I'm just turning into a shaggy monster. So, so um, well, the, normally I would try and use a shaggy monster for some sort of segue, but that's just not going to happen. I don't know where we could go with that one. Um, but I'm kind of curious, and, and Darren, we'll let you start on this. Um, one thing we haven't talked about in the podcast to make it quick a little bit today, cause we got a long, we got a, a lot to get to if we can, uh, Darren, I'll start with you. Why, why did you get into coaching? You know, why did you get in this profession that we know is a, is it's a tough thing to move around in. It's a tough thing to get into. Uh, we figured out, you know, we know from NCAA numbers there's only 351 schools. In um, that doesn't include D2 or D3 or the NAIs or junior colleges, but still D1 is 351 schools. So what, why did you get into this? <laughs> Well, I think originally, you know, uh, and I wasn't a world-class athlete, you know, but always strive to be. Um, so, you know, the, the per human performance aspect of it for me was, I think, the initial thing that drew me in to track and field. Um, but then I think uh, on a deeper level, just the interaction with um, individuals and uh, an opportunity to help them learn and grow and become the people that they're going to become you know, just a, such a cool avenue with sport to, uh, to help, um, young people and, and guide young people. To me, that's what really drew me to that. And I thought at the college level is probably the best opportunity, um, for my skill set. No, I like it. The human performance aspect and, and working with kids is always a great thing. Uh, John, John, what about you? So I think, uh, even back to when I was in, in high school and, and running track, I, I was always fascinated by the, the sports science piece of it and, and just kind of the puzzle of, you know, putting together a training plan and workouts. And, and obviously that uh, developed over time and more education and uh, more of a science background. And so I, I wanted to, you know, continue doing that and, and just kind of experiment and, and see what, you know, what workouts you can come up with. And that part of creativity, I guess, is, you know, uh, something that I really enjoy about, about coaching. And then obviously the longer you get into it, you start dealing with people and, and understanding what makes people tick. And uh, I've always been fascinated with, with building and, and trying to put, again, it's kind of the whole puzzle piece, you know, starting with the workouts and what makes it uh, an athlete faster, but then uh, how do you build a team and putting those pieces together is fascinating to me as well. So, um, and then it's just been enjoyable as again, you, you're in this long enough and you deal with different, different people and, and different administrators and different student athletes. It's uh, you really come away with some strong relationships and some relationships that uh, hopefully last a lifetime. Yeah. I think those relationships are something that, that always brings back to, if we weren't doing it for the relationships, we probably all, all nine of us should get out. Uh, there's no questions about that. Um, Coach, Mike, what do you, uh, why'd you get into this? No, it's probably different why you stay in it as, as opposed to why you get into it in the first place. And I can tell you getting into it in the first place was that just, um, you know, I'd run track at a low level through high school and, and college. I always joke that I'm glad the internet wasn't as uh, <laughs> prominent when I was in high school. I probably wouldn't, I, I would have known how 
bad I was. Um, but luckily, I didn't know what the rest of the country was doing. But anyway, to be honest with you, it seemed like a lot of fun. You know, I was working a nine to five job for a little while out of school and coaching a youth club. And it turned out that the coaching that youth club was a lot more fun, a lot more filling than than what I was doing uh, nine to five. So uh, I come from a long line. Everybody in my family are teachers. Um, a lot of them are coaches at the high school level as well. Um, and so it just, it seemed like something that was a lot of fun. And then once I got there, it was, and I was going to work anyway. It was a lot of fun. And, and, you know, we worked like crazy and, and it kind of just went from there. But really, to be honest with you, I was just looking to do something that I enjoyed. I wasn't too motivated by money, um, obviously. Uh, but it was, um, you know, just the passion and the excitement and the, and the fun that was going to come along with it. And uh, I was fortunate it was right. Yeah. There is a lot of there is a lot of fun that comes with it, but this is definitely not for the money, I mean, especially mm -hmm. where you've been and how you've come through. Definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Mike uh, Nelson, let's go to the other Mike here. Why did you get into this? Yeah, I mean, this is something that I've grown up with my, literally my entire life. My dad was a, a high school track and cross country coach uh, in Missouri, and so it was something that uh, my earliest memories are just hanging around with uh, my dad and his athletes at practice and. Um, in some ways, it's the only it's the only life I've ever really known, uh, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, but uh, it's definitely something that uh, I grew up with and, uh, you know, have always I, I, I would say that I've never really felt like as a coach, I've never really felt like I've really worked a day. It's always just been doing what I, I really love to do. Uh, and it just doesn't feel like work. Uh, which is fantastic. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's how I got into it. I think one of the keys, that, a couple of keys that people always talk about in life is, you know, the books you read, the people you meet, and then finding a job in which, you know, you don't have to work. You know, you're finding a job, you don't have to work, and it doesn't feel like you get to go, have to go to work every day. Um, and those are the biggest keys in life. I think you hit it right on the head there, Mike. Uh, Scott, why did, uh, what, 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 why are you coaching? You mean you're spending 60 bucks on a pizza. What are you doing? <laughs> well, you know, I think I, I have, a, you know, a lot of the same, um, you know, uh, reasons why, you know, as, as these other others is, you know, the love of the sport, you know, I mean, it just kind of, you know, grew, you know, you, you start off competing and, you know, then you try to figure out, it's like, well, how do I stay involved? I want, I, I love the sport. How do I give back, you know? And, you know, that kind of translated into, into the coaching aspect of it. And, you know, um, you know, I think uh, as we get older and stuff, I feel like, you know, the sport is starting to give back because it's helping us stay young, I guess, you know, um, you know, and then never feeling, you know, you, you go and we've all had those days where we're out at the track at 8 a.m. And, you know, we're, we're not leaving until 10, 10 p.m. And, you know, never felt like I was at work that day, you know, so, you know, things like that just kind of keep me going. And um, I just love it. Yeah, I think uh, you and I both share the same uh, head track of field coach when we were in college. And one thing he always said was, uh, amazing you guys leave because I get to stay in Never Never Land. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's like, everybody keeps going through here, but I get to stay in Never Never Land. I don't know why people would want to leave. And I don't know why I'd want to leave either. It's kind of the amazing thing. Uh, Sue, why did, you, why did you get into this? Well, so like most people, I started running track in high school. Um, but then unfortunately, my senior year, my coach was released. And so I pretty much coached myself my senior year of high school and post high school, my old high school coach moved over to another high school town over. And I was like, wanted to give back and I knew what it felt like to not have a coach. And I was 
really, really into the sport. I love the sport and just wanted to give it back. So I um, started coaching high school and I started to learn the competitive part that I absolutely love and developing people. And because of the competitive side is kind of why I got into the college aspect, the developing individuals that, you know, may have not been seen in high school become elite runners at the college level. So that's the exciting part. I do. The competitive side is something I think we all all yearn for. We love the competitions. Practices are a lot of fun. But, you know, as we all know, competitions, you get to go ahead and show off. Uh, Tom, you're out in Virginia from Wisconsin. Why, why, why coach? Well, I uh, played sports most of my life, um, you know, from grade school on all the way through college uh, and had some amazing coaches throughout the years. And I think one thing that they would all kind of say is that I'm very competitive and I'm going to steal a line from from my head coach John Riley who says you know if I'm playing checkers with your grandma I'm going to whoop her ass so <laughs> you know I'm uh I'm definitely in, on board with that and I think that's one of the reasons why uh we're doing well out here and one of the reasons why I enjoy coaching competitive aspect of it I like that from coach Riley that's actually that's actually a pretty good one right there uh, coach coach D why'd you why'd you get into why'd you get into coaching well um so my story is a bit different from you guys um I didn't really pursue coaching coaching kind of fell in my lap <laughs> um okay. and I, I I love it you know it's a part of the sport that I love um I actually like I said I never pursued it so um like um, Mike said, you know, it's a different reason why you stay in than why you get in. So like I said, it, it fell in my lap, but I stayed in for those relationships and for the connections. Um, you know, I love having an impact on the athletes, similar to the impact that my um, college coach had on me. You know, he was a great mentor and um, I strive to be a mentor to these athletes. You know, I, I always tell them that I want them to leave college a different person than they came in and being the person that they see every day, who's in a better position and to help them grow. So, yeah. <laughs> Tell us more about that. What did you, where'd you in high school from Virginia, if you fell into coaching and fell into track and field, how did this happen? Mm -hmm. So um, I actually was a three sport athlete in high school. Um, I was a basketball player, volleyball player, and I ran track. Um, it was very hard for me to choose what sport I was going to play in, in college, but I ended up choosing track, um, you know, kind of for the individual aspect. I'm very competitive, so I didn't necessarily want to defend on my team to win a championship, but I go out and win myself. Um, other than, you know, <laughs> you got to get what I'm saying. But yeah, so um, I chose track. Um, I ended up going to Radford, but I transferred to Marshall because when I was at Radford, um, I was a heptathlete. I got recruited to be a heptathlete. Um, I broke basically all the records in the conference my freshman year. So I transferred to Marshall to Conference USA, where it was a bit more competitive. Um, and good, good conference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, I transferred to Marshall, um, where, you know, I was pretty successful as a heptathlete there. Um, and my senior year, um, mm -hmm. my, my coach left. Um, he went to WKU, which is actually in our conference. Um, yep. So we were left without a coach um, for the whole preseason. So I stepped up and another um, girl on my team, a triple jumper, um, she's a very successful triple jumper. Um, she, we stepped up and we basically coached our team the entire preseason. Um, and, and what helped with that was I was very, I was one of those athletes that kind of asked questions. I'm like, why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? Um, so I understood 
all of the training and the drills and different things like that. So through my entire career, I was, you know, an athlete that could help coach the other athletes. I was one of the leaders that my coach kind of leaned on, you know, if he needed another set of eyes. So, yeah, like I said, my coach left. Um, we trained the whole team through preseason, and then we ended up getting another coach after preseason. And um, after that, my head coach, um, he, I guess he noticed, um, you know, that we were in great shape. You know, we really didn't miss a step. And um, I, helped, I helped throughout my senior year. It was actually my fifth year. I helped throughout that year. And I was at a track meet. And I was approached by a coach from another school about grad school and about being a GA. Really? And I was really surprised because I had never really thought about it. Um, I really didn't talk to my head coach about it. Um, and, you know, he wanted me to coach multis. And I was like, um, okay, <laughs> you know, I think I can do that. I was a athlete. So um, I started the process with applying and taking my test, MAT. And um, so... I ended up being a GA at Eastern Kentucky um, University, you know, to coach multis. And then I helped coach um, hurdles and the jumps. Well, let me take a step back. Actually, while I was helping out at Marshall, um, okay. when, when our coach wasn't there, I was also doing coaching the team and doing a strength and conditioning internship. So that's how I got comfortable with doing strength and conditioning. So, okay, I'm comfortable with doing track now, help, helping coach track and strength and conditioning. Okay, fast forward to EKU. Um, I went to EKU. Um, originally, I was supposed to coach multis, um, jumps, and hurdles. Did that. Well, one of the coaches left, and he was coaching throws, distance, and um, he was doing the strength and conditioning. So I took over the throws, and I took over the strength and conditioning. So now I'm a GA coaching throws, jumps, hurdles, and multis, and doing the strength and conditioning for the whole sprints and jumps thing. And that's, that's, a, that's a mouthful right there. Yeah, as a GA. A so I kind of, <laughs> I dove in head first, you know, it was just, you know, taking over. Um, so yeah, that's basically how I got my foot into coaching. And the fact that I, I coached so much, um, opened doors for other opportunities. And um, basically I could coach, you know, whatever someone needed me to coach. And the fact that I had the strength conditioning under my belt, you know, really helped. So, um, but I really credit that to great mentors. Um, coach Jeff Small, he helped me out like tremendously. You know, I just had really good coaching and really good backing to help me, um, you know, get my foot in the door with, with coaching and be successful. So. And coach Small is a great gentleman. Uh, he's, in, he's in the conference with us at UAB, as you know. <laughs> Had a couple good quick, quick question uh, for Elaine. Yeah, um, what for for a young coach, like let's say someone is like 23 years old, a fifth year or fourth year, and they're just graduating. What advice would you give to a, a young person who's looking to to get into the college coaching scene? Obviously, you know, with uh, the, the coronavirus, that kind of throws a wrench into everything a little bit. But if you know, what, what advice would you normally give to someone who's looking to uh, get into this college coaching profession? Um, I would give, it's a, it's a lot to it. You know, like you guys said, it's, it's um, jobs are limited, you know? So I think, you know, networking and talking to people and really using your resources, your coaches, um, and then using their resources, networking, I think is definitely key and asking questions, um, you know, really knowing your craft and um, being able to um, 
really articulate how you coach your different coaching style and things like that. I think it is definitely key, but networking is definitely number one and using your, your mentors and your resources um, effectively will help. That's what, that's what helped me. And I think that that was the key to me really getting in um, to coaching and staying in coaching. I think one of the best things that you did, um, <clears throat> one of the things that you said, you kind of, you're right, you fell into it, but one of the best things that you did was, you went and you're multifaceted. You've got a whole different thing. You coach, you understand the distances, you can understand the throws, you can understand the sprints and all that stuff. And I think nowadays that's a lot of, that's something that a lot of coaches go into one aspect of it. I know I had a little bit of throws experience when I was a butler because that was what I was given. Like here, you can go do this or you can touch the distance runners, but you can touch the throws. And so I tried to help a little bit and understand it. I can understand it, but I don't know anything about it. Um, but I think that's one of the most incredible things you did uh, was understand, have that broad knowledge, because then, as you said, Coach Small helped you out and moved you along a little bit. And then when you went to EKU, you could do a little more and, and you, uh, you broke in those horizons. Question, just as a curiosity question here, and, and I'll explain it in a second. When you were, you said in high school, you did basketball, track and volleyball. Am I correct? Yes. Um, what position in basketball? I was a forward. I was a small forward. Very small, small forward. <laughs> but I could jump. I was a jumper. You know, I, I could really jump. So um, I actually, I actually led the region in block shots. So I was, I'm five, I'm five, ten and a half, five, eleven. So not too small, but yeah. <laughs> Don't know if I qualify that as a small forward, but at the time you never know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The jumping thing, I mean, oh, the reason I asked that question is some of my teams that have won championships, the basketball players have been, have been point guards. But sometimes if you turn around and say, you know, you were a small forward, um, but you led the, what, you said the region, the conference and blocks? Yeah. That's a big enough position as it is. As that's going to make you competitive, as you know, because nobody's, nobody's coming into your lane. No questions about that. Right. See, I think I had an advantage because I was a small forward, but I was really fast and I, I was just athletic in general. <laughs> so I could really run circles around the, you know, the bigger girls. <laughs> they thought they had an advantage. They didn't. <laughs> Definitely made sure that real quick. <laughs> no, I, I love that. Oh, I got a quick question oh, if I could jump in there. And Elaine, I don't, we haven't met. My name's Mike. I'm glad to meet you here. Too bad we can't do this in person that'd probably be a little better way to do it but um quick question I mean I first of all I think you're selling yourself short by saying you fell into this because it sounds to me like without realizing it you were doing the things that you were supposed to be doing without knowing that was what was the end was going to be you know what I mean the coaching right. your own people and learning and asking questions and meeting people so on one hand sure you fell into it you might not have done it intentionally but but you were doing all the right things which is really cool to hear um one of my colleagues here Tom Sage down there I remember the first time he came down when I was at Illinois just to follow me around he was looking to get into coaching and he wanted to follow me around when I was at Illinois and he um I remember the comment at the end of the day was like you just you didn't stop moving the whole you know I've, I've been to many track meets as an athlete and here I am as a coach and and I never realized the amount of stuff that goes into coaching as opposed to competing you know and it's a lot different so I was curious you know you spent a lot of time helping people out as an athlete helping other other athletes out what were the differences? What were some things that maybe surprised you when all of a sudden now you're in a graduate assistant role, now you're in an actual assistant role, as opposed to just being one of the better athletes that was helping people out? How, what were the differences there? What, what stuck out to you? Um, I would say the biggest difference was the planning. Mm -hmm. um, really putting together a program that made sense 
and not um, basically doing what the coach tells you to do or what you're used to doing. Um, also really, um, so one thing that I learned um, from being a GA to really coming into my own as a coach is um, learning myself and how, what, what, theories I want to test and what things I want to do and the outcomes that I want based off of the athletes that I have. Um, because I, I will say the way that I was trained will not necessarily work for the athletes that I have because we are not the same, you know? So I think that was the biggest, um, the biggest hurdle that I had to hop mm -hmm. um, from being a, a athlete where, okay, this is how I was trained. So this is how I'm going to train them versus me being a coach. Like, okay, this is how I was trained, but this is not going to work. So how can I tweak this to get either the same result or a better result than what I'm used to? Um, that's, so. that's huge. I mean, and coming from a, you obviously were a great athlete and it's so easy for great athletes to do, expect everybody to be able to do the things that they did. I think one of my personal advantages was I was not that great of an athlete. So I had to, I had to learn how to do these things because I couldn't do it myself. But, but to hear somebody like you that, that took the time to really step back and like you said, look at what are the outcomes that you want from this particular athlete and what do I need to do differently because it won't necessarily be the same thing and you, and you learn, which is, that's really cool. That's great to hear. Thank you. Yeah, no, I, I would concur with that too, Elaine. I think that's such a remarkable you know, kind of something to recognize in yourself. Um, you know, I've had a lot of GAs come through my program and who are good athletes and, and they coached the, the student athletes at St. Louis university the same way they were coached. And it just, it doesn't always work that way. You know, the end result doesn't, uh, is not always so great. So you know, kudos to you for, for recognizing that in yourself. I think that is, that is probably one of the biggest pieces of advice that, that I would give to young coaches. And, and so I think it's, uh, it's remarkable uh, that, that you're able to do that at such an, a young age. Another thing that I would say also is that um, the time that you put in, you know, as a coach, like your job never stops. And, you know, I, I feel like a lot of people don't realize that. They think that, you know, okay, you're a coach, your practice time is this time, you're in your office at this time, okay, no. But you're like a second parent to these athletes. So always expect for, you know, if, if they're going through something or it, your phone has to be on, you have to be in contact with them, you know, you have to be available for the athletes. And I think that was another thing that I had to realize is that, you know, this is, this is more than a full-time job. Mm-hmm. There's no questions about that. I think one of the one thing that people, uh, I heard somebody talking yesterday on the news, and they said that one of the one of the two jobs, and I honestly can't remember the other one because I was baffled, but one of the two jobs that people believe that everybody can do is coach. And I was like, <clears throat> I mean, we can all write a workout. That's easy. That's the easy part. And I don't think any of us coach. I think we all manage. I think our terminology is wrong for what we do because we have to manage our athletes. I love it. I agree. You're, you're, you're spot on the, the drive to be able to do this when you're younger is awesome. The, you do sell yourself short. You've got a hell of a lot going on and that's, that's awesome. I commend you for all that. So that's, that's impressive. Yeah. And I think you're going to go a long way, especially with uh, coach Nelson uh, up there working with you a little bit. Darren, do you have something? Yeah. I think another thing that she points out that's really important is the growth aspect of coaching, right? None of us are the same coaches we were five, 10 years ago. And to be really great in this profession or any profession or anything that you're trying to master is challenging yourself and maybe sometimes stepping outside of your comfort zone. And like she said, you know, she, she alluded to, okay, I, I'm dealing with this athlete. How, how do I want to uh, build my program and, and what, what, 
what parameters, what ceilings do I want to push here? And I think that's just so important um, in this profession is to not just get caught up in what you do year in and year out and just copy and paste. Right. And, and, and just uh, keep growing, keep learning. And I think that really keeps, uh, keeps things going. Yeah, I, uh, I totally agree with that. You know, I think, you know, as track coaches, we, we get put into boxes so many times. It's like, you know, a, a jumps coach, a throws coach, a distance coach. And it's like, you know, be, being able to just work with athletes, you know, and, and figuring out, you know, what do they need um, to be successful? I mean, it's, you know, the, that growth aspect of that is, you know, really important, I think, for, for young coaches. More being able to grow is, is a big deal, and I think um, I think one of the things that we, we again we can't cookie cutter paste it. Sometimes you look at the weather and go, man, it's going to be ninety three every day. Lows are going to be seventy two and partly cloudy. That's pretty easy, even though that they know it's going to change every day and it might be a cookie cutter forecast, as, as some people call it. But one of the things that in coaching you can't. We always believe we've seen everything before, uh, and I think one of the things that none of us have seen, of course, is COVID. Um, it's one of the things that's impacting your sport in general. And again, Elaine, your coach, D, love, love talking with you. Look forward to keep talking and following uh, your career with everything that you do. I know it's going to be a good one. There's no questions about it. Just listening, you're going to have a great career. Um, and you're going to be in this for a long haul. That's one of the biggest things I think you can tell right there. You're in it. Uh, you're in it for life. So uh, I'm looking forward to watching uh, and talking to you. But going back to COVID, it's one of those things that, it's affecting all of us, none of us, whether we're 23 years old, first one out or 55 years old and still trying to figure things out. <clears throat> we've never dealt with this before. It doesn't matter what it is. And I think, uh, unfortunately, yesterday, uh, the may have been one of the blackest days in the history of the NCAA, other than maybe March 15th when they canceled all sports. And it didn't matter whether it was D1, D2, D3, when they shut the sports down day by day by day. Uh, that was bad. And yesterday, I believe in the news and something I think we need to talk on is that you know, COVID is readjusting a lot of schools. It's doing a ton. Last night, late last night, <clears throat> uh, excuse me, Dartmouth broke. Or news that Dartmouth was going to be cutting five sports. Um, luckily enough, cross country and track and field were not one of them. Um, but I believe uh, men's, women's swimming, men's, women's golf. And then there was one more that I'm, I'm missing here. They all cut. Um, we had Stanford cutting 11 sports. Um, but I mean, they have 35 in total. So, oh my goodness, you know, I wish I had 35 sports running around that much money. Um, but 11 sports, none of them that really affected their uh, Lear Cup championship. You know, they won 25 times, whatever the case might be. Uh, we saw that the Big Ten is going to go to a conference-only schedule. Um, I saw something that said conference-only schedule for women's cross-country. There's to me for all fall sports and women's cross-country, but not men's. Uh, yeah, I, what I, I, the only thing I can tell you is there's a conversation happening about that at 2 o'clock today. So I don't really, as the Big Ten – de facto representative here. Um, I know about as much as you do until that conversation happens with the coaches. So we're going to find out more later today. Okay. And I heard from one big 10 coach that uh, the reason that they were going to the big 10 only, and I thought this was pretty elitist was that it was um, because the big 10 is going to be testing like everybody else in their conference and other small schools. I, I mean, mid majors are going to be not being able to test as well. It's like, that's a, that sounds elitist, but that sounds probably about the same argument that I'd heard um, on our end as well. So. Well, I think that, you know, that is true, that it, that is a fact. And I, but I think the other thing that, you know, I've read is that by doing conference only, it does give you more flexibility if there are stoppages. Like there's, 
you know, if you only do, if you do have a condensed schedule and maybe it's more spread out, um, you know, you can kind of adjust a little bit more, um, opposed to like a really packed schedule. Mm. So, I mean, either way, I mean, I, I don't even think we're out of the woods on this thing. I mean, I think there's a lot of things to, uh, roll down the hill here, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I understand the initial, initial reasoning. Uh, the, when we, I think, uh, we, we saw that the, um, ACC, has pushed competitions back to September 1 for all fall sports except football. <clears throat> still got to make that money. Uh, still got to do that stuff. And then what do we got? I know uh, the Patriot League is suspended its their comp competitions in September 4th, nothing after that. The MAC, the MAAC, is September 11th um, for competitions to start in the fall. Um, and then actually news broke late last night as well that D2, two D2 schools, um, I'll bring mention another one here in a second, but the CIAA, the Central Intercollegiate Athletic Association, with uh, which is in the Virginia areas, you know, the Winston-Salem's, Virginia Union, St. Augustine's of the world, those guys, uh, they've canceled, they postponed all fall sports, no interest in bringing them back in the spring to play. Um, the SIAC, the Southern Intercollegiate Athletic Conference, will be doing the same thing down here with some D2s. Um, and then the CCAA, you know, sue your conference, you guys were the, the guinea pigs, I don't know if a guinea pig is a good word for this right now. <laughs> Guys, we're the first ones to fall on the sword uh, May 15, in May. I don't know when in May. Um, so Sue, could you, could you talk about that a little bit, Sue, and how that's affected? I mean, there's so many unintended consequences sometimes. Could you talk about that a little bit in terms of how that's all gone down and how, what, what you and, and uh, the rest of the track and cross-country folks are doing? Well, so, um, you know, as the whole thing, everyone had to go home and such like that, but we were really the first conference to officially cancel all fall sports. So, you know, our athletes took a really big hit of feeling, are we going to be the only conference in the country that's not going to have fall sports? And, you know, as an athlete, that's really daunting. You know, do you think about, oh, do I want to go somewhere else? As a coach, you're like recruiting wise, you know, hey, sorry, we're not going to have fall sports this year, you know. And so to our athletes and to the coaching staff, it was a really big hit. And, you know, thankfully, our kids are really resilient and we haven't lost any kids. They're staying and, you know, they kind of took it as an opportunity to, hey, you know, usually I only run 40 miles a week. Hey, maybe I could try and go to 50 because I got more time to see if my body can handle that. You know, there's kind of a higher risk, higher reward. They have more time to develop. Our freshmen have more time to develop. So, you know, as, as sad as it is, it's, it's been kind of a positive experience for our athletes that they're able to, you know, be like, hey, we're gonna just, you're just giving us more time to come back stronger. So, you know, and seeing these other conferences cancel is a really uh, depressing thing to see, but I'll be honest, I've been there since May, so. You know, and it's gonna and it's gonna continue. I don't. I don't think this is over. I don't. I don't think a lot of conferences are gonna be. You know, potentially competing. I mean, it's kind of like a snowball effect. You know, just like when the NBA canceled back in March, it it just started this huge snowball effect of everyone just started following. So, I hope that everyone gets to compete. I hope you guys get to compete. But you know, it's it's something to prepare for. Well, and you think you know, I I look at some of this as posturing. Uh, some of it, uh, kicking the can down the road, possibly, um, in hopes that something will happen. But I mean, I'm looking at our situation down here and it's, 
it's grim, you know, in South Texas, we're, uh, a lot of our hospitals are in trouble and, um, you know, I just, I, I think we're at a really, uh, it's a big crossroads with, with, uh, the moral obligation of, of universities to, you know, stand by their statements that they, they care about the health, wellness, and well-being of the student athletes first and foremost. But on the athletic side, you look at the survival of an athletic department, right? And you've, like, like Matt said, you've seen all these sports getting cut, mostly non-rev sports, um, which is which is even more unfortunate about this whole situation. But I think it exposes a little bit of where we're at in college athletics, right? And so I think uh, we're going to see with all this, we're going to see a big adjustment in, in what happens in college athletics as we move forward. One of the things I've seen, oh, actually with, with that, I've seen a lot of headlines that say that uh, college athletics, you know, the bill is due, you know, the bill is due. And that's just because of how much of an arms race it is. I mean, I don't know what Indiana has. And it's just the only reason I pick on you, uh, Mike, is because you're at Indiana and you're the, probably the biggest institution, power five mm -hmm. institution here. But like, you know, you look at a, a Clemson, you look at some of those places that have the barbershop in the football built, and then they've got the mini golf up on top or a bowling alley in this area and stuff. And how much of that, good night, how much of that is actually, is really needed is the biggest question. Uh, and one thing to mention, and somebody else jump in after this, please. Um, but one thing to mention, if we didn't mention, and has kind of, people are saying at the end, uh, the quote unquote, the end of the fall was the Ivy League um, suspending everything. Uh, suspending all fall sports uh, and winter all, all, all fall sports have been postponed nothing will happen in the spring for the fall sports June or January 1st is when winter sports can begin competitions again which leads into basketball season um, as well and other sports but winter sports will be able to practice so that's a good thing so maybe they're looked the Ivy's are looking at a basketball schedule maybe they're smarter than us I mean Harvard was the first team to pull their athletes off followed by Michigan uh, out of the NCAA track and field championships. So. <clears throat> you know, it's, I, I don't know. It's just so, you know, you, you, you hate to continuously watch the news because it's so depressing um, because, you know, you all across the country, there's, you know, cases are going up, cases are going up, but then it's like, you know, you look at some of the schools, well, you know, and from with our conference, we're in the Mountain West. It's like, well, you know, Colorado State, they've tested over, you know, 200 and some athletes. They haven't had a single positive case. You know, Wyoming hasn't had um, any positive cases with anybody in their athletic department. And it's like, you know, how do we, you know, try to walk that line of what's, what's best for everybody at the same time that, you know, certain parts of the country, it's, it's um, they're not being affected. Um, but then again, if I'm Colorado state, I certainly don't want to uh, hop on a plane and go play. Um, I don't know, somebody that's had a, a lot of outbreak, a lot of positive tests. Um, it, it's really just a delicate, delicate uh, situation. And I think it shows you how dependent we are on each uh, in each other, right? Are dependent on each other. When you look at uh, all the guarantees that some of these mid-major conferences lost yesterday, yeah. I think I saw somewhere where the MAC uh, conference had lost 11 million in guarantees just by the decision of the Big Ten to to host conference only. And I think that's uh, and that's where it makes it really hard, is because 
we're so dependent on what what we do right what each other what each uh, separate faction does that man one crumbles it's like oh man we're scrambling to figure out what we need to do from there you know but and don't think like, that wasn't a fa- oh good go well, ahead, i was gonna say you know kind of what you originally said darren uh, of understanding why the big 10 made that decision right you know if they're gonna test uh their kids on a, on a regular basis um you know it's it's up to their athletic directors and, and their school presidents to make sure that their their student athletes are, are healthy and safe. And, and so, you know, if they don't want to put their kids in a, in a situation where they're competing against another school that that isn't that the other schools are still certainly concerned about health and safety. But if they're only testing as needed versus, you know, a Big Ten institution who has regular interval testing, um, I, I can totally understand why the Big Ten makes that decision. So again, it's this, you're kind of caught between two, two worlds here of, of, you know, what's, what's, you know, what the capability of one institution versus the capability of another. And it's, and it is crazy times. They're, they're basically controlling the controllables, you know, and we're one of those institutions. Monmouth was going to play Rutgers the first uh, game of the season. And that, that was, that was a big deal. Um, so what happens, um, what happens now in, in place of that? I, I don't know. You know, that was just announced yesterday. So, well, I, I'm I think guessing the, you guys were going to get paid, right? Oh, well, so. you know, and that's all the kind of stuff, uh, oh, oh we were definitely going to get paid. Yes. Um, <laughs> right. That, that's but, my point. And so what I'm saying is don't that. think that that's not part, well, it, it does. And that's part of us finding the percentage that we need to get rid of here in the budget, right? Like if you, you can, you can call it safety, which it 100% is, and you can have that sort of elitist view, and I'm speaking as a Big Ten representative, sort of, de facto, but, um, you know, but don't think the fact that we aren't going to be paying millions of dollars in, in guarantees isn't help that decision a little bit as well. You know what I mean? If we're trying to, you know, what's really important for the Big Ten is what's really important for the Big Ten. And as, as much as it sucks to say that about a place like Monmouth, like, that all of a sudden becomes not my problem anymore, right? Like if I if I'm gonna, it's gonna cost me a couple hundred thousand dollars to get a monument to come over here, and it might be a little more risky, even though that couple hundred thousand dollars might be a big chunk of your budget. It's it's I don't know that that's really my you know I got bigger fish to fry now, and that's and and so you're gonna have to figure it out, and that sucks, and I you know that I don't know what the answer to that is, and of course nobody does, but you know that's certainly a big big factor. Um, and what's going on? And I think that uh, the hand is kind of tipped as to priorities of, of some of these big conferences too. You know what I mean? And, and what, what really is the priority? And if we're, you talk about the barbershops and the golf courses and things like that, and you know, there's all these resources that are, that we're going to give you all of these things on one hand, but, but not on the other hand. And, and you find out real quick that how important it is for these games to happen. Um, is it for opportunity for, for athletes to play football games is that why we're is that our concern is it is it the need to provide entertainment to people is that the concern or what what really is the big push here you know and and i think that 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 hand kind of gets tipped and um it'd be interesting to see a group of athletes really kind of figure that out and there's some leverage there i guess is what i'm trying to say well correct you know, me I if i'm wrong the trip oh, just oh, gonna say, ahead, correct me if i'm wrong um the Big Ten was the first conference to have their own TV kind of station, their own TV uh, affiliate. Network. 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 Yeah, that's the word I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. Correct. Um, and with this move, it almost 
you know, thinking from their perspective, it almost makes sense. You would assume a lot of those places have cameras and, and infrastructures already built in a lot of the schools uh, for, for various games or sports. So if they're competing against each other only, um, you know, the network survives and, and thrives. And, and, and that, that's an opportunity if sports goes on for them to continue to, to increase their, uh, their profits. So I think Mike, uh, Mike Herb hit a couple uh, nails on the head there. I think there are some some opportunities for athletes if they're if they're thinking this through, they have a little bit more leverage than than you know, what they actually think they might. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of to address kind of like the I think one of the bigger issues for a lot of is the trickle down effect of not playing some of these games. It's like you know, you know we you know Nevada was going to play Arkansas and get whatever amount payout. But then, you know, we're paying UC Davis to come play us. And it's like, you know, UC Davis is probably playing, you know, somebody that they're, you know, paying in. It's like, you know, once we get down to some of the, some of these other schools, it's like that is a huge portion of their athletic budget. You know, I know when uh, I was at Nickel State in Louisiana, you know, we would play a couple guaranteed games. And it's like, man, like that money is really important. And am I still, because again, Scott, you gave my first job. I remember that year we had, I think football went to San Diego State and Air Force, if I'm, I'm reaching my memory here a little bit. And I remember talking to the athletic director at the time, and he said those two games, along with a, with a guarantee from LSU and basketball, essentially covered our budget because of how small it was. Wasn't something like something incredible like that? You know, and not to put their business out there and, you know, because I know it's probably changed over the years, but, you know, a small school like that in the Southland, they were operating on like a three or four million dollar budget, mm-hmm. you know, so when they would go get a guarantee game, um, you know, for, you know, I, I know one year they went up and played uh, Nebraska and it was like 750000 I mean, that was like do or die money for that that department. Um, and which is, you know, probably the case for a lot of athletic departments. And I mean, there's the, I think this lends to a couple of things and it's going to be question marks. And I, and I think we could all agree that there's a good chance a lot of us are going to have, you know, we know that Sue, you guys aren't playing anytime soon. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, for D2s, but for some of the D1s, either A, we're all waiting or B, we know for a fact, because that money is so important, we're going to wait till the 13th hour before a lot of us pull these things. And the Big Ten did what they did. You've got to wonder the Pac-12. It's rumored that they're going to do the exact same thing the Big Ten did. Um, then it becomes – Look at, I was looking at things and wondering, we in the Conference USA being in Birmingham, Alabama, we, we could go play Sunbelt schools and ASUN schools. We've got enough around in the area that we could probably schedule cross-country meets and dual teams, do some of that to have a schedule. I don't know if we're going to be allowed to. But um, – I don't know, some of you guys I know down in the Valley, you know, in RTUTRGV, you guys are a little bit far from some teams along those lines. I don't know if you could, could you pull that off? Yeah, I, I thought about that yesterday. If, if the WAC decided to say, hey, conference only, which honestly would, doesn't make a whole lot of sense because we've got, you know, school in Seattle, we've got school in Chicago. I mean, we're all over the place. We're very spread out. So to me, um, that doesn't make a lot of sense. But I think another argument that we've, or another thing that we've got to look at, and I know we've talked about offline before is, you know, a lot of these decisions are just simply above our heads. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, you know, you look at at state governments, federal, local governments. I mean, I know our county, Hidalgo County, um, just wrote a letter to the governor trying to shut the whole county down, all businesses. Um, So if that happens, you know, where where are we then? You know, and that that's just I don't know. I think it's just a bigger fight and it's a bigger issue. And I've just kind of taken the stance now that. I'm going to roll with the punches and, and try to just do what's best, um, you know, for everybody. And, and it's just, at this point, I think it's just a lot bigger than all of us. Well, I'll tell you one thing, just, you know, kind of, I feel like this is a, a little bit doom and gloom right now. Um, you know, we're talking about if football goes on and, and eventually, you know, if basketball goes on and, uh, you know, with businesses shutting down and potentially children not going back to school, one of the unique things that's been going on is the, uh, these track and field races that, uh, or events that have been going on virtually. Uh, and I just kind of wanted to get you guys a thought on some of that. Uh, I know, you know, jokingly years back, we used to say, well, why don't we just submit our times and, you know, go to, instead of going to a championship, submit the times. Um, that's kind of where we're at now. We're, we're all virtually running times on tracks and, you know, whether it be 185 meters or 200 meters, but, um, you know, what, what's your guys' opinion on this virtual track? Eight, eight, nine, zero yesterday. Or 185 meters. Uh, yeah. I'm concerned because we may not know where the starting lines are. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tom, thanks for changing from the doom and gloom. I think that, uh, that, that was a, a great transition, but you know, I, I know I've mentioned this to, to some people. It's like, you know, we may be missing a really great opportunity right now to, you know, promote our sport. You know, we, we are kind of uh, a sport that could, you know, kind of operate uh, somewhat virtually and still have some competitions. And, you know, honestly, I, I think there's probably enough people uh, in the world that are just dying for some sort of, um, you know, athletics and sports that we could probably gain a lot of fans, um, you know, if we were able to, you know, market it and promote it and, um, you know, put some sort of product out there. I think it's, I think it's a neat idea, kind of what took place yesterday. You know, conceptually, it's kind of a you know, it's different. Obviously, right? You got to adjust to it. Um, you know, to borrow from another sport. You know, for those that really know me pretty well, I'm an avid cyclist and, and really into cycling. I don't know if anybody saw this that the the Tour de France, obviously, which would be going on this month uh, in, in France, is doing a virtual. Uh, competition on, on the platforms with the online platform if you've if you've seen that and i i have a subscription to it i use it to, for my own training and my own purposes but you know it, it was very strange to see this last weekend because they had a virtual tour de france using this gaming platform right on national broadcast on nbc sports and so here you are watching professional cyclists basically playing a video game now again they're on their smart trainers and the technology is allows you know for something like this to happen but they had just the the, the kind of record viewership and, and they're playing a video game right i mean there's some physical components to it but they've got record viewership because people are just thirsty for for athletic competition just to, to to watch and so um you know i think track and field needs to come up with a way to do some of these things that they did yesterday just make sure everybody's on the right starting lines and everything but um, <laughs> it is an opportunity to, to, to do, to do something fun and different and, and innovative and, and heaven knows our sport does need some innovation. So I, I'm all for it. 
I think, I mean, the I've enjoyed watching those virtual time trials a little bit. And then I think, uh, don't we have a, a pole vault as well, a virtual pole vault? Pole vault off, jump off, something like yep. that? So. Yeah, I think uh, three three vaulters vaulted against each other. That was like kind of the the start of it, um, and and things have been just kind of rolling from it. Um, but I, I think Scott's right. Like we we see this after the fact. You know, why isn't this an event already being promoted and shown live? You know, I think we all got the news yesterday of you know the 185 meter race um, versus 200 meter race, and and Unfortunately, you know, I don't know if it was broadcast anywhere live. What? Well, you got uh, you got two ladies going for the American record in the five k today. Where's that? With Schweitzer and Houlihan. Who and who's broadcasting it? I don't know. I just saw it on Twitter, yeah. but uh, that's yeah, what I'm that's saying. I mean, does anybody missing, know? Right? Yeah. We're missing an opportunity. Would right? I would be watching that today if I knew about it. Right. Same well, here. I just told you. So go out and watch. <laughs> I got to figure out, we got to, we're going to have to create a link and start having like, uh, you know, somebody out there with their iPhone doing like Facebook live or something. Okay. okay. I mean, I, again, I, I go back to this t- virtual tour de France. How is it that an organization, again, it's a big production, right? The tour de France, they're using a video game platform on NBC sports. How are we not taking our best athletes and doing the same, you know, again, not using the video game piece of it, but how is this not being shown? on a on a national broadcast they need the content too i mean there's no other sports going on so if nbc i just again in my own mind again i'm not privy to the contracts i struggle to understand how nbc sports would put a video game on tv a national tv as a and not you know uh carissa schweitzer versus shelby Houlihan in a one-off 5k like come on seriously. yeah so so just exciting. just so you know it's on usatf tv Okay. Subscription based. I I don't I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But I mean that, I've never right. heard that's that an either, opportunity. For the that's record. an opportunity, man. If that was just put on a, a, a wide platform for you know yeah. for, for viewers that might not be interested in track and field to see two young ladies or two women go for the American record, and I think it would bring in some interest. Here, here's a it'd be a damn game. Yeah, I hope it happens, but what if they actually set the record? It's like an American record set and nobody saw it. Serious? Like, again, I know we're talking to a niche audience, right? The, the track and field community, but the track and even within our own community, we would want to see that, right? I mean, well, I, I well, think anybody fact- would want to see it. It's, I mean, yeah. especially with a, a dual meet or, you know, her versus her. I mean, that, that would just be I mean, awesome. Like, I actually think that things like that would, uh, um, you know, kind of make our sport a little bit more interesting versus having, you know, 25 athletes in the race and going after it. You know, I th- that's just my personal opinion. That's kind of what we talked about in the javelin episode. episode you, know, you, one. you know, the, the, only <laughs> thing that, the only thing that's scary about, about just two athletes going at it is if everybody, if you remember back to, I guess it would have been 1996, Donovan Bailey, Michael Johnson in the oh, yeah. 150 meters and Michael Johnson pulled up. Ugh, there was a little bit of a letdown. I mean, there was a lot of pomp and circumstance for that and then kind of a big letdown. Yeah, That's but people still, watch. people still watch and we're still talking about it. Yeah, yeah. true. 
Well, maybe somebody needs to reach out to uh, whoever is present at this and see if we can, you know, get, get some sort of coverage of it. Follow Bowerman Track Club on Instagram. Oh, now I got to get an Instagram account. <laughs> well, so We're, I was watching, have you guys ever seen the documentary Athlete A on Netflix? Yeah, I just, just watched, watched that the other week. Yep. Yeah, so it's about, <laughs> it's about, you know, the gymnasts and all that stuff. There was a really interesting part where they were realizing their sport wasn't that popular in the U.S. And so they went absolutely crazy on social media. They went crazy on magazines. I mean, they just grabbed all their big athletes and just completely dove into that. You know, they kind of said it kind of distracted the athletes a little bit. But the fact that it got their sport acknowledged, I mean, that's Maybe that's something USATF needs to be doing is getting a little more involved in the social media, more involved with magazines or anything, like just something to get out there. We, yeah. We've got a couple of uh, post-collegiate, well, there's the swim program here at IU is pretty powerful right now. And, and there's a couple of individuals, Lily King and, of course, now I'm draw, drawing a blank on the other guy's name, um, which kind of defeats the whole purpose of this point. But, you know, they are amazing on social media and really, really interactive. And just like you, you know what I mean? They're putting their own content out there. They're Cody Miller. I'm a breaststroker, um, doing their own blogs, doing their own videos, um, promoting their own stuff. And they're wildly popular athletes. So they're both gold medalists and highly successful, but man, they're running with it. And, and they get a lot of, a lot of press over that kind of stuff. So to your point, you know, I think some of our athletes do a really good job of that. Others, maybe not, but I think that if it gets, picked up and driven by a governing body, you know, USATF TV, that's cool. But to be fair, I've never even heard of that. And if I, you know, I'm not, you know, I feel like I probably should have given that that's our life. Right. Um, I didn't know that existed. Why, why, and again, way above our pay grade, but uh, you know, people are dying for competitive things to watch the cycling case in point. Right. So we are a niche, but there's this huge hole that's being plugged with like, I don't know, the 1988 national championship NCAA football game or something like that. You know what I mean? It's like there's stuff happening right now that's really, really cool. And then there's this huge void, this huge hole. Who's going to fill it, right? And we've got the ability to do that kind of stuff. Clearly, people are training, not to go on a whole other tangent, but it's interesting to me. Some of these performances are pretty fantastic, and you know the training's not ideal right now. So to me, that's a whole other conversation about – if you can't train in what used to be an ideal situation, but all of a sudden now we're seeing these amazing performances, a different conversation altogether, but, but maybe worth having at some point, you know what I mean? But the fact of the matter is they're happening and it's just got, if you turn on ESPN and there's all that's on right now are two women running a 5k, guess what? We're watching two women running a 5k, you know what I mean? And maybe getting excited about it and maybe going, what else do they do? Who else does this kind of stuff? You know? So to, to, there, there is huge opportunity and uh, it'd be great to see somebody do that. I don't know if we can do that, but it'd be cool if somebody did. Well, I just looked up for the fun of it. And because one of the biggest things, I think <clears throat> we have one company, I'm not going to knock them, but at the same time, we'll bring them up. We have one company that tends to really monopolize everything that we have. Um, we've got a flow track that does. And the problem is for someone like that, if you want to watch, and again, I was trying to read a little bit about the, the Chris, the race tonight, that 5k race, you got to subscribe to FlowTrack. Uh, that's expensive as hell. Let's just be flat out honest. That is expensive to be able to <clears throat> to for subscription, especially if you only use it two or three times. I was looking at the USATF stuff, and luckily enough, with USATF, 
that TV. And again, Herb, I'm the same way. I didn't even know we, I knew we had it. I thought you had to have a subscription. I was just looking up the videos. You can follow the videos right now. You can at least look them up. But I don't know if it's, I don't know, like there's a, some races coming up. I don't know if you can watch that live without a subscription. I know athletictv.net or athleticnet.tv is $4.99, five bucks. Okay, we can pay five bucks. We all pay $10 for Spotify. So we can pay that kind of money to be able to do that stuff. You're right. So you're right. Can you find more? Can we broadcast this kind of stuff more? Can we find more ways to be interactive? Can athletes help us out and do that stuff? But the USCTF, the NCAA, our sports information department, they got to be able to find more ways to help us. But you know, we know in our sport and cross country and track and field, we have to also be the ones that have the brilliant ideas, the javelins on fire, putting, you know, Honestly, let's bring some fraternities and put them on one of the turns and let them have a little kegger while we want run track and field meets just so we can have the banter and the enjoyment and all that kind of stuff. Matt, can you post that? The Do you have the, the links to um, the USATF um, that you can maybe post? Yeah, do you want me to post it on the... Uh... Yeah, I mean, it's most people can go to the website and stuff, but I mean, most people are just scrolling through social media and maybe they see that that's... You know, we can really, at, at least this group could promote it a little bit just to, yeah. just since, since we're talking about it. You know, what was really fascinating and it just kind of popped in my head is, you know, when you, when you think of like the regular season, whether it's collegiate track and field or, or professional track and field, not that there's much of a regular season for the pros, but, you know, all, all those meets have, you know, whether it's Flow Track or NBC or, or you know, whoever the affiliate is, right? They own the rights to, to those competitions, right? But now in this time of COVID, and they're doing these one-off virtual meets, like those aren't, nobody has the rights to it. Like the athletes, and it's, it, I guess my point here is going to be, it's a shame that the athletes, um, that it's on them to, to do all this promoting. Like this is where our governing body should really step in and, and, and kind of lift, uh, do the heavy lifting of this. But, you know, these athletes could put this on Facebook live. They could put it on Instagram. They could do, do that, which is, Better than nothing, right? I, I think uh, we would we would definitely appreciate that. Well, and it's free, and it's free. Uh, but it, it's a shame, though. I guess is my point that that we don't have our own governing body recognizing the opportunity in front of them to to elevate our sport to a whole nother level. And maybe it's got to be grassroots, though. Maybe well, it, maybe it has to be. I don't know. How how excited? would you guys have been to watch that meet that happened down in Florida where they had a few heats of the hundred, a few heats of this, a few heats of that, a couple, I mean, it wasn't a all day long track and field meet. I well, mean, Scott, was, I had a friend that was there. I had yeah. a friend that was there and he was doing Facebook live and I watched his Facebook live like all day. Oh, was it? I, mean, was there, yeah. I guess maybe I only saw a few of the, um, no, he was in Florida. No, he was just a coach. Like he was, he was in Florida. And I mean, I'm saying like he was, he was even filming when they were warming up and, and I just watched oh. it. I mean, that's me as a coach. Right. But yeah. <laughs> I mean, know. you know, we're, we keep, we, I mean, this is a conversation we've had and probably could have for forever and stuff, but it's like, you know, going back to, you know, a, a simple concept, you know, maybe, you know, we don't have competitions where we have 21 events, you know, having, you know, four or five events and, you know, let it be a few heats of each and people get in and out of there an hour and a half. I always, I always say if you can go, I mean, 
nobody wants to be there for five hours because you've already missed two meals. Nobody really wants to go grab a hot dog and popcorn that's been sitting there for a couple of days or maybe a few hours just sitting in the burner, just turn over a little more stale with it. So yeah, if you can find something, you can package into a little bit of the thing. I mean, Broadway plays, what, anywhere from hour and a half to three and a, three hours. So if anybody watched Hamilton, that was, what, three hours with a minute in, intermission in between? So got to have something small like that, yeah. You know, I was going to say, I'll just go back to, again, I keep hitting my cycling uh, deal here, but, you know, a normal Tour de France stage is, is what they televise, about five hours long, four to five hours long, depending on the stage. Again, I'm, I'm a cycling nut, so I'm going to watch all four or five hours. Not everybody's going to do that. These Zwift things that they did this last weekend, and they're doing it again uh, this weekend, they were 45 minutes, 45 minutes to an hour. It was great. And, and that's why the viewership was so high, because it, you know, it was short, it was sweet, it was to the point, and, and they, they had some different metrics, and some, the viewing was a little different. But uh, they packaged something that was very abnormal and, and made it really, really exciting. John, do they have like commercials or anything during those? I mean, is there a way that they're making money? Because that's why I I, I, like I see as the biggest problem of why isn't USATF or some other organization promoting this more? I don't think they see um, the money. It's like what's in it for us. So so what they did is obviously they they kind of had the the prepackaged, you know, the teasers at the beginning, right? You know, they introduce the people, they have they go to commercial, they do another little segment go to some more commercials, and then the event starts. Well, during the event, the, the 45 minutes of the actual event, they kind of did what they use for soccer, right? Where they, they show, they have like a rotating advertiser, uh, whoever pays for that advertising time, kind of, they put their logo up on the screen and, and, and they kind of- So, so they're, they're making money. They're making some money off. And so that's, yeah. that's gotta be the first step. Yeah, you oh, get a sponsor, you know, yeah. we're gonna put this on, it's gonna be an hour, there's gonna be a 100 meter dash, an 800 meter, and a, mm-hmm. And a high jump competition. It has to be, there has to be some money. And, and there's an advertiser. For every event. For, for every event or however they want to set it up. That's what needs to be set up first. Mm-hmm. Then the athletes will come. You know, the athletes will, will join it because you're probably paying them a little bit. Um, and heck, you only need, you know, four sprinters every other lane. Keep your social distancing. You know, you only need a few 800 runners and a few uh, high jumpers and, and, you could, you could really make something, but I think first and foremost, you got to go after some of the sponsors so that uh, there's a monetary reason to do it. Okay. Now let's not give, let's not give away our million dollar idea. Yeah. Well, We're giving away. (laughs) Maybe it needs to start coming from the athletes. I mean, look at Emma Coburn. She has so many sponsors and she's incredibly huge on social media. You know, maybe, maybe that needs to start being encouraged of like those athletes, the Brenda Martinez and all that such like, you know, maybe it does need to come from the athletes getting small things together with sponsorships. Maybe they need to contact their sponsorships in regards to like, hey, you know, I run for New Balance. Maybe we should be contacting New Balance about, you know, getting this broadcasted with someone contacting the USATF, anything. The other the other fun question, actually, look into that stuff. And if you've, if you've gone back, I'm going to pub Mike one more time. Mike Cunningham here back a little bit. He had three episodes with Harry Mara, the, you know, Ashton Eaton's coach in his grassroots, that kind of coaching he does, I believe was in the second one, a uh, second interview, three separate interviews, and they're they very good. But he talks about the fact that Visa, back in the day, he went to Visa and said, we need to <clears throat> promote our sport better. We need to promote our, what was it, I believe was it the heptathletes that was better for now, the decathletes? And, yes. Yeah. And take, and take it off from there. And they did. 
and they did a really good job. And but now, of course, they still have the Visa USATF track and field series. But we don't hear much about it. We don't hear much of it from Visa. Hershey is a sponsor as well. I think uh, the recovery um, group, what is it, NT Recovery with the, the the legs, the what are those legs called? Recovery legs. I don't know what they are. We've got like 20 of them in our department, but you have sponsors. Like that. The Normatec, Norm yeah. There it is. Normatec. Sorry, I couldn't think of it. Come on. But I have a lot of sponsors like that that could take it. Why couldn't Visa jump on and say, hey, let's, let's broadcast this kind of stuff. Let's put it on. If it has to be NBC Sports, because it looks like Visa, NBC, and USATF have a partnership, let's do it. You know, Nike's even listed as a sponsor of the USATF, which we all know. You know, I think I think it's important to realize track and field hasn't always been like this in the U.S. You know, mm -hmm. there there's been you know times where the sport was very popular. You know, I mean, you, you go back and you can see some of these broadcasts, you know, from from back in the day, and it's like they had their stands full. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, uh, I, I can't remember what it was. I think it was maybe one of the, the Olympic trials that was in Indianapolis or something. And it was like the stands were packed. You know, we have a, a volunteer pole vault coach here and he's been around forever and stuff. And here in Reno, we used to have an indoor track and, and they had a, uh, a pretty nice little arena that they could host in. And it was an old wooden track, but they used to fill four or 5,000 people in there. I mean, every weekend for track meets. And it's like, you know, it, it used to be popular you know, I think it's just um, a matter of trying to figure out how do we get it promoted and, you know, the information out there. Oh, yeah, we, we talked about this. And I think uh, we talked a little bit about this in the first episode is, is there's so much noise. Again, you know, years ago, 40 years ago, when they're broadcasting track and field on TV, they didn't have to compete against MMA. They didn't have to compete against UFC. They didn't have to compete against NASCAR. They didn't have to compete against name the sport now, right? Uh, there, there's just so much more viewing uh, on TV, uh, but yet we, our, our, our product hasn't changed, right? Uh, we haven't found innovative ways to, to, to rise above that. Uh, I think that's, those were Darren's words from the first episode, we gotta rise above that noise. And so, you know, what that looks like, I don't know. I think we, we gotta find a way to do that though. I would agree. Absolutely would agree. Um, I think uh, in general, that's one of those things, positivity of we have a tremendous sport. We have a tremendous product. <laughs> we just need to be able to figure out how to do things. I know some there are some events, the pole vault we know, um, is taken off with the street vaults, the American Track League of promoting itself. Sammy Kendricks does a great job when she's doing things to help promote. And so whatever we can do to help promote is always a great, uh, great thing. Um, so, but I just want to thank everybody as well uh, for spending time of your day. Uh, panelists, ladies, gentlemen, thank you for spending uh, some time out of your day. I know you guys are very busy people, but for, um, for sharing your insights, sharing your thoughts and ideas, I think we actually have some tremendous ideas that can be uh, used uh, in the track and field world and cross country world. And I think some of those ideas, honestly, are going to have to come to fruition here with how uh, COVID and things are going. Maybe those dual meets are going to be something fun that we as the sports information department, or assuming not we as, because I'm not one, but our sports information department could broadcast live, you know, Facebook live or have a GA that just holds their phone. And this is what Instagram live is going to be. So, 
But I want to thank everybody again for taking time out of their day, pulling a chair up to the table, whether you're walking, running, sitting down, listening to this, if you're out and about, sitting in your front porch, uh, just you know, enjoying the beautiful weather. Hopefully you've got beautiful weathers and not too many monsoons going out and about. Um, but thank you for taking time out of everything. As you mentioned before, though, it is always helpful if you uh, enjoyed this podcast, if you found it entertaining, encouraging, you found some great ideas or some wonderful um, nugget that hopefully you can take back and maybe use in your sports information department or with your sport or whoever it may be in your athletic departments, please share this link. Share this link. Uh, word of mouth is without question, as we just talked about, the best form of advertisement, the best form of communication that we can uh, actually have. So uh, we are going to try and do better again next week. We'll have a couple new guests uh, and we'll keep this thing going. So ladies and gentlemen, truly appreciate having you. Uh, we look forward to talking to everybody again soon. See you next time. See you next time. Peace. See you.